welcome to Energy in 30. We'll use the next 30 minutes to explore how utilities and the industry are reacting to forces that are shaping new offerings for customers in order to meet decarbonization goals. If you are a utility manager, consultant, technology provider, or just curious about energy, we hope to push your thinking about the changes that are happening in the energy industry with me, David Meisegeier. And me, Joan Collins. David, this is going to be such an interesting podcast as we have the founders of Cambo Energy Group, Yasmin Abraham and Kareem Abraham, a brother and sister team, and our very own Danny Kahumoku, who leads ICF's Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, or DEI initiatives. And they are just off of presenting jointly in New Orleans at the NUAC conference. For those of you that don't know what NUAC stands for, it's the National Energy and Utility Affordability Coalition Conference. They spoke together about holistic approach of addressing climate, weatherization, and capacity needs through housing programs in tribal nations. And I'm just really looking forward to digging into this more today. But before we do, um, we'd like to have Yasmin, she's offered to lead us off with an Indigenous land acknowledgement. Thank you. Thank you, Joan. It's so great to be here and thank you for the invitation. Yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, I'm uh, I'm speaking to you today from the traditional unceded and stolen territories of the Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish and Musqueam First Nations up here in what is known as Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Um, I am grateful and honored to, to live work and play and enjoy this land and always uh, reflecting on my own role in reconciliation here in Canada and, and considering how you know, generations of, of genocide and um, systemic bias in our society has really provided privilege for me as a settler on this land. Um, we always start our, uh, our meetings and anything formal here in Canada with a land acknowledgement. Um, and it's a really, um, it's a chance to reflect on where we are and where we come from. So thank you for that opportunity. That's awesome. Thank you, Yasmin. And I know, Kareem, you're in the same location. And Joan and I learned about the land acknowledgement when we were prepping with you guys uh, the other week. And so we actually did research ourselves to better understand the the indigenous uh, people and, and lands that we are on. And so I, I found it very fascinating. And, and I'd like to acknowledge that I'm on ancestral lands of the Piscataway people who were among the first in the Western hemisphere. This indigenous land was stolen from the Piscataway people by European colonists, and I pay respect to Piscataway elders and ancestors. And I, I want to acknowledge that I took some of that wording actually from the University of Maryland's land acknowledgement statement, who is also on the Piscataway people's land. And, and I've just found it very powerful to to read the statement that they had on their website so uh, pleased to be able to share that and joan you you also did your research 
I did. And since we're virtual here and coming from different different areas, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm on the traditional lands of the O'odham and Hohokam people and that the modern day indigenous nations that descended from the ancestral people are inhabitants of this land. And I also recognize the impact of their wisdom and their care for the planet. That's really great, Joan and David. And I also like to start with land acknowledgements as well, just as a native person. Um, I, I'm a, both a native and a settler, and so I always do like to send my mana and aloha to the ancestors of the people whose land I'm in, on right now, um, which is the Cowlitz, Clackamas, and Confeder Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde. And um, yes, it's definitely something that I'm hoping that ICF does acknowledge at more of a corporate level. I know that there are different spaces that do primarily work with Indigenous people within ICF. And so um, it's not necessarily uh, something that, that happens across the, the enterprise, but I do know that it is really something that we are beginning to catch on to. And it's not just about, you know, reading words off a of paper and just making sure that you are stating an acknowledgement. It's really about the way that we are embedding these sustainable practices and uh, acknowledging not just the past, but what we can do in present time to really impact the the well-being of the land that we're on, the people who have occupied the land and making sure that the programs that we are developing and implementing with our clients really are um, in in alignment with what the people um, of, of these histories really have advocated for and fought for for all of time. And so it's really great to be in this space and, and hearing you both say that um, at this level, it's pretty impactful for me to be a part of it. So thank you. I'm just so, so appreciative of the awareness and the realization and Gosh, we're so grateful to have the three of you on. You're truly putting a spotlight on prioritizing indigenous communities uh, for for housing and energy projects as well. And uh, just welcome. Welcome to the three of you. Thank, Thank you. you so much for having us. And as noted before, Cambo Energy Group is an equity based social enterprise based in Vancouver, BC that designs and delivers solutions to reduce energy poverty and improve housing to communities often missed. And we have to ask now, how was NOLA and how was the NUAC conference? Conference was great. It was, uh, we had a lot of fun. It was the first time the three of us actually got to meet each other in person. So we've been talking for months virtually like this, and it was just a really, a really a treat to get together in person. So uh, we had a lot of fun. We had a great presentation. I think we got a really you know, good response from um, what we were talking about and some some good conversations that came out of it. And it was a good good opportunity to kind of see the work that's happening um, in the US for us coming down from from Canada. So it was it was it was really fun. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, it's just so amazing to have 800 people at one conference all talking about low income energy efficiency, energy equity, energy poverty, the right to cooling. It was just 
It was amazing. I think for us, especially Canada, is a little bit behind the eight ball on on some of this work. So it was so fulfilling. And, uh, you know, I think we got a lot of value from just meeting so many people who live and breathe and work in this space. And um, yeah, it was awesome. And also, NOLA is a great city. If I, <laughs> Kareem and I had never been there, we enjoyed it. <laughs> Yes, we definitely did enjoy it, <laughs> that's for sure. And I, I think that beyond the history and amazing culture and just vibrancy that New Orleans holds, it the, the theme for this conference was rising in resilience. And I feel like the things that we heard and learned about everything that the people of New Orleans, that um, the you know community organizations and even the utility were doing in order to address all of these impacts of climate change, of these extreme weather events that have really um, drastically and negatively impacted communities in New Orleans to to have those conversations in that space. It really made it very, very real that this is not just a conceptual thing to talk about. This is something that people are experiencing right now and have been for decades since, you know, in New Orleans, Katrina was one of the biggest things that or one of the biggest weather events that I think in the United States we have um, you know, remembered in our in our history and for Hurricane Ida to have happened again recently, it just brought to light that we have known about these issues and are not acknowledging them or um, doing things at a pace that is really warranted to make sure that communities and individuals <clears throat> are protected. So it was just it was really profound to be there in New Orleans talking about resilience in this way. Oh, I bet. You know, I I volunteered. Um, I was I was working with a utility here in Arizona, and there were actually people that went to New Orleans mm -hmm. um, afterwards, and and I volunteered to go, um, and it was it was really something to be part of that. So I can imagine now coming, you know, back around and and again tying that back. It must have been profound for sure. And and so so could you share a little more the three of you about you know exactly kind of what you were presenting and um, you know any any questions that came or any insights that, that you'd like to share? Yeah, so we we were talking um, about our work in indigenous communities and and so that work is really focused on improving housing outcomes and you know the reason for that is. Um, you know, a lot of homes in indigenous communities, especially remote communities in Canada, are in really poor state and in poor condition, and that leads to a lot of negative health impacts. There are, you know, energy poverty comes out of that as well. And so it's a, it's a tremendously big issue. And so our work, um, we, we pull together both kind of an energy efficiency approach as well as a whole home construction approach to improve homes. And we do this at community scale. And so we were fortunate enough to kind of present on how we approach that work, some of the learnings that we've had over the last um, 13 years doing this work. And then we got to present alongside Danny as well to really tie in um, ICF's uh, strategy and approach to this work as well and, and the, um, the way that we're going to be hoping to work together in this space as well. I wonder if you could share a little bit, because I, I found it fascinating. Uh, you, you say that energy efficiency 
in tribal nations requires holistic thinking that goes beyond energy audits, rebates, and conservation measures. Uh, so talk a little bit more about what you mean by that and, and, and how you wrap all the different services together. Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, because these communities are, are, are really remote and the, the houses are in poor condition that if you, if, you know, consultants or utilities or programs are going in with the expectation of, you know, changing light bulbs and, you know, improve, putting in attic insulation and kind of the, the typical DSM uh, recommendations in a home. And you walk into these homes that have, you know, leaky roofs and they have, you know, major other issues. There's mold issues, there's structural issues, there's fire safety concerns. There's really a lot going on in a home. And if you go into that home trying to improve insulation levels or change light bulbs, you're really missing the mark. And so certainly those energy efficiency improvements are needed in many homes, but really what's needed is the home's condition needs to improve to be improved. I think the challenge is, is that funding dollars and programs are completely siloed when it comes to housing versus energy. And so the housing folks aren't able to do a lot of energy upgrades and kind of energy specific work. And the energy folks aren't able to do kind of housing specific work. And what happens is you have this complete isolation of issues and 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 because we, you know, the house is a system concept that I'm sure a lot of you understand on this podcast. Um, these things are integrated, right? There's no point improving um, energy systems if you have a really poor envelope. And so our approach is to try to pull both money and um, technical disciplines from those two areas together to improve houses from both the energy and the kind of building condition side at the same time. And that really leads to improving outcomes um, for the residents and not just, you know, doing short-sighted improvements that, you know, may, may be good for a utility, but are not really impactful at the community level. Mm. So like, who are, or who or what are some of the funding sources that, in addition to utility program funds, that you are able to, to tie together to accomplish some of this? Yeah, so funding, finding funding for our work is is certainly kind of is a, is a constant, and it's always um, it's always something that we're really trying to stay on top of, and and we really pull from a whole bunch of different sources. So certainly the utilities have a role to play or have played a role in our work. Um, a lot of the time that is for specific upgrades. So there's rebates and incentives that we lean on, um, but they've also been um, they've funded the the initial upfront work as well. So doing housing assessments and and really understanding like what is the condition of homes. We pull on federal funding from uh, Indigenous Services Canada, which is a federal organization for, and they have funding available for nations for housing specific. We look at foundations and grants. We look at uh, provincial incentives and programs as well. So we're really kind of scanning all of the funding opportunities to try to build a project that's in line with the nation's vision. And so that's that's a full-time job for, for more than, one person on our team is to kind of source that funding. And so it's a bit of a, uh, a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Uh, and just to jump in there, I think uh, across our organization and across the programs we deliver, whether it's with Indigenous Nations or through Empower Me, um, our custom, we really try to make sure that the first and foremost, the solutions we develop address the needs 
of the people we're working with. And whether that's an indigenous nation, a new immigrant, or a lower income customer, we um, we create solutions that address their needs. And often that's energy efficiency, and often it's affordability, but sometimes it's health, sometimes it's safety, sometimes it's um, educating on, you know, I moved to this new city and then what is this green bin in front of my house and what day do I put out my recycling? So we create holistic programs that are multi-salting. And the benefit of that is that those, the goals that we're achieving achieve the goals of multiple different types of funders. And so whether it's energy savings for the utility, whether it's GHG savings for governments, whether it's um, uh, brand awareness or um, you know philanthropic dollars that we can access, we really try to uh, pull in funding from multiple different sources because our programs and our solutions address multiple issues. That's awesome. And do you find like prioritization of the projects are sometimes limited by the availability of people who can do the work in in particular communities or um, just curious about that? Yeah, I would say capacity is one of the the largest challenges that we we try to address. And so that mm -hmm. capacity is really at all stages of kind of project development. So, you know, even just capacity to support with uh, funding applications or capacity to, you know, organize and 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 you know get uh, home assessors into each home and do the communication. Like the capacity of every nation is completely different. Um, and then certainly when we're looking at upgrading or improving homes and doing renovations, yeah, capacity for for trades within the community can be an issue. Um, even finding local trades, um, you know, within a hundred kilometers can can right. be an issue as well. And so. Yeah, capacity and finding the right folks is is a major issue. But um, you know, we've worked with a lot of great groups over the last number of years and have built strong relationships. So that's um, sometimes it's a little bit easier. Yeah, that I'm sure that makes it much easier. So, do you are you able to find funding that can support kind of like workforce training so that communities can do this work? You know, beyond what you're able to do or yeah, there there are a lot of workforce training dollars and capacity building dollars available. Um, and the nice thing is, is you know, if we're doing community scale renovations, um, it's a great opportunity to build internal capacity. Actually, one of the nations uh, we're we're working with building homes in right now, they've actually developed and are are building a construction company. It's part of their economic development group, and so they're they're we're they're using us as a supporting partner but they're also building significant um, opportunity and capacity internally that we can then partner in other communities to help support as well. So there's a lot of kind of interesting approaches and, and methodologies on how we like to build capacity. You know, we always joke that we want to work ourselves out of a job that hasn't seemed to happen yet, but um, <laughs> I think that philosophy is important. Yes. Yeah, we, we completely agree with that. Uh, Market transformation is is the term that that we would use around that, and and we want to build the market. We don't want to be the market. So, completely in sync. You you mentioned something uh, earlier about being in sync with the community's vision, and I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about 
how you involve the community from the start and are not just taking a you know off the shelf program per se but but really working with those communities to understand their needs and and what they're motivated by and and how that shapes what you end up doing yeah i think that's really the critical piece and, and part of the magic of our success is that regardless of who we're working with as i mentioned you know we start with the the participant we start with their needs and so that really you know it, it's gonna sound simple but it really starts with listening and creating relationships and um introducing ourselves you know we're so we're so lucky and, and privileged to have such a great relation um reputation in the in this work but often it just involves showing up and you know bringing a gift and and you know talking to people uh, and talking about things that are not energy related and not housing related and mm -hmm. getting to know people and talking about your kids and what you do this weekend and you know it's really about creating relationships and getting to know people um because then you get to understand what's important to them and you don't come to them with a solution that you think they need mm -hmm. you know you you really create space for a conversation to tease that out. I think that's um, that's been part of the magic that that we've been able to to really expand and scale over the the last decade. Kareem, I don't know if you have anything to add there. Yeah, I would say from a from a community perspective, I think absolutely. You know, helping um, a nation or or chief and council or whoever it is, you know, really solidify their vision of where they want to go. And then we just support that, you know, we're no, it's, it's their, it's their direction. Um, and we just want to provide decision support. We want to provide extra pair of hands and we want to provide capacity where we can. And so I think I, I, I say this a lot, but a, a government or utility program does not make a strategy or a vision, right? They can support specific aspects and milestones within that vision. Um, but I think, you know, really looking um at the community to be able to to set the direction and vision and then we're just we're just supporting actors in that role yeah it's 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 just um truly you know authentic um and and i'm wondering i mean you're the, what you do in in every day i'm just one of the questions that we really like to to ask and is is kind of a, a big question, but what is the why that's that's driving you? Um, and it it seems like it almost seems the easiest to ask you of any of the guests that that we've had on, um, but because you can just feel the passion um, from you both. Yeah, that that is a really big question. That was you know multiple things going through my head. I think you know we we are a family business. Our father started this business. 12, 13 years ago now, and he always worked in the in the energy um, and equity space, starting in the UK, uh, designing their low income program back in the 90s. Um, and we grew uh, our family is a, a family of entrepreneurs. I think we have four generations of entrepreneurs and so always grew up with a business mindset. Um, and I think I'll just speak for me, Kareem can jump in, but you know, I wanna use my power for good. Um, 
it's important to me that as we're tra transitioning to a low carbon economy that folks aren't left behind. You know, I think it's so easy to design programming and consider solutions for that, you know, white upper middle class family. Um, but so easily things can change. And I think we saw that so much with the pandemic. You know, everybody didn't really had no idea what was going to happen. Are we going to lose our jobs? How much money do I have in the bank? Oh, am I going to be able to pay my mortgage? What's what are interest rates? So everybody had that moment where goodness, like who knows what's going to happen? Um, and I think that empathy and that acknowledgement that it's just by luck and privilege that we that some of us end up not having um, challenges accessing this pro these programs. And there are so many households and families who cannot access these programs because they're not designed for the unique needs of them. And so that's a really long way to say, you know, <laughs> I really that equity and justice um, piece of it is, is so important to me. Like that. And I would just add for me, um, I mean, I echo almost all of that. For me, I think, you know, being able to run a business that is really providing kind of win-win-win solutions across the board where you're you're able to develop a business model that, you know, creates financial value, but also improves social outcomes and environmental outcomes. Like that magical mix of of win-win-win is something that I'm just really passionate about. I love the game of business. I love um, you know, building things and building teams, but being able to use that skill and that <laughs> that roller coaster um, to do something that's 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 good for the world and for and to help people, I think is is really special. So it's um, that's kind of why why I do it. And Kareem really loves working with his sister. So uh -huh. <laughs> that's, awesome, it's up there. <laughs> How about you, Danny? I have so much to say in in response to that question. I think the beauty of what I've felt my role right now, even with Kareem and Yasmin, has just been to to see the the different ways that we can approach accomplishing these energy goals that you know ICF really has been tackling for for many many years. And the human-centric approach, the community-centric approach has been foundational to Cambo in a way that, um, you know, we, we very much are looking to better ourselves in, in that direction. It has always been something that I think has been on our minds and that we have implemented in different ways. But this is also becoming a goal from our clients of the communities that we are serving. Um, the accountability that we have seen in the past couple of years to really say, you know, energy permeates every part of our life. It is about it impacts our education, our labor, our finances, our health, our housing. It is um, 
center to our well-being as an individual, as family unit and in our communities and households. And so I've really, really loved just being to being able to be in a space where I can kind of lend my expertise and knowledge in all of these different sectors that I've been a part of to say, you know, it's not just about the, the technical aspect of energy. It's not just about KWH and therms and the different, you know, technologies that we're using, this really is ultimately about the betterment of our, our well-being and our society's well-being. And I think energy is such a unique way to address the needs that the people around us have. Um, and so it, it's been uh, really, that is, that is my driving force, is just making sure that that we are continuing in this transition to be as inclusive as possible to recognize the the impacts that the industry has had in the past and still to this day and make sure that we are building new and in a way that is really going to center health and, and well-being and so that that's really what's driving me um, in this role and just kind of in general with the way that I operate. Awesome. I feel like I feel like the three of you are transforming thought in 30. <laughs> it, it's uh, just, I mean, wow. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, and David, did you have something that you were? You know, I, I know you like that to be the wrap up question, but I have one more question that I really want to <laughs> ask. So I'm going to ask how, you know, money is always tight. When I mean, period. I'll just leave it at that. And and often you have to decide between doing more work in one or a few homes, or or doing less work uh, in in more homes. But how do you make that decision? I would say that you know we don't make that decision, especially when it's from an indigenous community perspective. That is really up to nation's leadership our role is to provide the decision support right so here's a path forward um, here's our recommendation on what we think are important so here's some you know let's really look at health and safety it's kind of the first round um, and then we can kind of move um, down the list of priorities but it's it's not our call that's leadership's job and we just want to help support them and make that that decision and I think that's a great example of how we really center the community, that it's not our decision, it's the the nation's decision. I think just to add to that answer, um, when we are designing lower income slash energy poverty programs, our goal is always to increase affordability in those homes. We cannot deliver programming in lower income families without improving their lives. Um, and so if you ask me that question, um, 100% would we focus on doing more and less houses because we've seen the negative impacts of, um, and forgive me, but you know, delivering energy savings kits across lower income families. Um, they have their place, but it doesn't impact affordability. It doesn't have a, a meaningful impact on their bill. And so certainly we always look to deliver programs that maximize affordability and GHG's KWH in 
home. So we would do more and less. Very, very inspiring. Thank you, Joan, for, for humoring me on that last question. <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. And it leads right in um, to our kind of final, we'd like to ask all of our guests, if there's one thing that you can change in the industry, what would it be? I would say if there was one thing I could change, <clears throat> it would really just be the makeup of decision makers. I think that that would be incredibly impactful, even in what you were just talking about of like who is making the decisions. It's the people who have been part of the community who have trust and potentially are elders or at least are leaders. And I think that if we had a more racial diversity, if we had more gender diversity and age diversity and the people who are developing policies, who are, you know, in in government offices in in the leadership positions in the development of these programs, whether it's for utility or consultancy or for the uh, you know community-based organizations, I think if we see a different people who have different who have come from different walks of life, it would really impact the products and the outcomes that we see and the, not just the outcomes, but the processes and the way that we're approaching even getting to those to those outcomes. I like that answer. I want to steal it. <laughs> um, I would like to do what Danny wants to do and my answer to that is also I think it's around decentralizing energy efficiency programs and uh, kind of going back to that multi-solving piece of of designing and delivering energy efficiency programs in a way that allows multiple stakeholders to both fund and design them so you know i think our utility pro our utility partners and friends you know they you know we come from a long history of them designing programs and it makes a lot of sense based up based on the history of our industry however i think we're at a point now as we transition and with the climate crisis and equity and cost of living that we need to consider that there's there's ways that we can multi-solve program problems uh, with uh, including energy efficiency work. So um, that's kind of my magic wand wish, which is going to come true because I'm on this podcast, mm -hmm. right? Nice. Yes. <laughs> that's how it works. Don't underestimate the power of the podcast. I love it. <laughs> I will steal both of those answers and just add a short little addition. I think for me, it's it's similar to Yasmin's. It's it's finding ways for programs to work together more efficiently. I mean, there's there's always so much overlap in outcomes that they're trying to achieve, but there's a lot of rigidity in design. And what you end up, you know, you create more and more work just to access very rigid pools of funding. Whereas if those pools of funding could talk to each other. Um, and kind of work with partners on delivering the outcomes that they've all agreed on. I think there would be just a lot more efficiency, pun intended, in our work. <laughs> oh, those are great. Oh, I, I, uh, I just wanted this to keep going on. Um, it's always the energy same. in forty. I know it's so <laughs> it's so hard to keep it short. Um, but I just thank you again so very much. Um, the three of you for such a thoughtful discussion. 
and also for for educating um, and for those that are listening to the podcast, we are going to put a link in the notes for you to learn more about the territory that you're living on. Um, and you can go to native-land.ca, uh, but the link also is in the notes. And uh, as we as we wrap up here, if you've enjoyed listening to Energy in 30, you can look to September for our next episode. This has really been fabulous. I appreciate the three of you taking your time out of your busy days to join us. And you know, just hearing firsthand how getting involvement from communities from the beginning uh, is so critical to ensuring you're delivering solutions that meet their needs. It's it's really good to to hear those success stories and, and remind all of our listeners of the importance of that. So thank you very much. And here's to our next transformation of thought in 30. I mean, energy in 30. Thanks so much. Thank you.